0: Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. Are you watching closely? To begin. I touch I'm to I'm Start. What plaything can you offer me today? Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story, a podcast in which, eventually. Ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. Yeah, welcome to a very special episode of Cock and Bull Minute. Gonna take a little break. We've, uh, been getting through this 36 bracket finally. Done three of the pairings so far. I figure every three pairings I'll jump back in. Kinda cover some bases, and I thought, I'd do something weird. I'm going to try to watch a minute of the movie. This is our 24th episode, so I'm going to turn on minute 24. I don't know any of the characters' names. I think Jackie Coogan is playing Jackie Coogan, but a slightly fictionalized version of himself. But I think this minute is actually a scene for the Tristram Shandy movie that they're making in Tristram Shandy, Cock and Bowl story. I know that's confusing because we haven't covered anything up to now. Let's see what happens. Okay. So we got Coogan as presumably Tristram, although I think he also plays Tristram's father, so this could be Tristram's father. I don't know. I don't know where we are in the film in terms of story. I don't even know if the story is that linear because like the novel, there's a lot of tangents. There's a lot of figuring out how do we cover a tangent. How do you deal with tangents in a film? For that matter, this is a tangent. This episode, obviously. I mean, ooh, so obvious. But I wanted to also share. Well, okay, what's he doing? Did I even see what he's doing? He's, like, snoring next to a desk. This is some old-timey time. I don't know when. So he's got, like, you know, the wig. The white curly wig. But it's sitting on the desk. He's not wearing it. Camera whips to the left. And there's some woman. Uh, I don't remember this actress's name, but she's funny. I could look it up. I'll look it up. Do you use the IMDb app? Because I use it all the time. Even for me, I'm surprised at how much I use the IMDb app because I am looking up movies constantly. I am adding them to a watch list. I'm seeing where they're available. I have separately have letterboxed on my phone, like on my main screen. Like first screen before I even flip anywhere. You got letterboxed, you got IMDb. When, you know, the world still existed and was open, uh, I got AMC Theaters app because I'm a premiere member, so I can get three movies a month for the $20. Right now, they're being really nice. They're just not charging anyone. I was hoping they were going to give you three of their digital films a week, not a month. Pay $20 a month for three movies a week. I was hoping they were going to make some of their digital films available for free. Like, you could pick three and watch that. Because that would have been cool. Some of the new, early premieres, online screenings of things that should be in theaters and you pay like 20 bucks. I haven't done any of those yet, right? now, Most of them I had seen the movie. But then I also got a thing called Just Watch, which is this app where you can look up a movie and see what platform can I watch it on? What's hilarious is lately I've been finding these really, if you if you listen to The Room Minute, you'd know this. Or if you listen to my upcoming, probably, show? Who knows? Correction? It doesn't exist yet. If you're listening to this episode when it goes up, which is about a week after I'm recording it, I might have another podcast soon. I'm insane. I know. But it's gonna be called Trash Films. And if I do it right, you can participate. And I don't mean as a guest, I mean Maybe I'll have a scheduled guest, who knows, but I'm gonna, like, people get on my Discord server and I'll be able to show you what movie I'm watching as I'm watching it, so you can kind of watch along and listen to me react live to movies that, mostly, I'm gonna do movies I haven't seen. They're all gonna be crappy films, though. And I know this up front because I got them off of these, like, six-disc sets, most of them, and some I just know are bad because I've heard of them. Every once in a while I'll do some classic bad movie, There's some Miami connection in there. I've already seen it a few times, but still could be interesting, especially if I get a guest for that episode. What was I doing? Oh, the hackers. Dun dun dun. Shirley Henderson. You'd know her. She's kind of a mousy. Oh, she did the voice of Babu Frick. That makes perfect sense. Hello. Hi, Babu Frick. And if you're nerdy enough to be listening to this podcast, you probably know who Babu Frick is, so I'm not even going to say. But in case you aren't that nerdy. <coughs> She's also been in, I don't know, a whole bunch of TV shows. So many things. British actress and lots of stuff. Whatever. Anyway, she walks in. Old timey dress. Probably going to say something. I don't know. Let's check. She just ran in to wake him up to tell him that a baby was as black as night or as black as her shoes. That's racist. Uh, I don't know whose baby. His baby? Wait. Who is he? He's not Tristram. I think the whole point of the movie is they don't even get past the volume where he gets to his own birth, so I think he's playing Tristram's father. Except for if you know anything about this movie, there's a famous scene where he's playing Tristram in the womb. But really, want to talk about something that came up when I was recording the last episode that you would heard last week with Luke Allen, because we were talking about about time and Fisher King, and I was curious what kind of movies made my list. So I made an Excel sheet because that's the kind of person I am sometimes, and I marked them. I made some columns. I made a column because this was important. Something I consider to be postmodern. Okay. This wasn't the original order of the columns, but I moved them around as I was sorting them. I made a column for melancholy. Not just a movie that makes me sad, but a movie that has sort of this thoughtfulness about depression or sadness or life, you know. Obvious drama column, comedy column. Some movies got both, of course. Romance column, a history column, musical column, an action column, a horror column, a sci-fi fantasy column. Despite my usual thing, if you know me on Facebook, you'd know I'm one of those who makes a big deal on making the distinction between science fiction and fantasy, often. But here, it seemed I was more interested in genre films, you know. The exact genre was that important. A western column, and a documentary column. And I made a list of the 380 films that started the bracket. Now, these numbers are interesting. Out of 380 films, 358 got marked as drama. 150 got marked as comedy, so there's definitely quite a few that are marked as both, but I definitely like dramas. 166. More than half. No, that's not more than half. percentage is that? Big. That's not half. 44% of the films I marked as melancholy. 95 of them, a quarter, I marked as postmodern. And 130 as romance. So more than a quarter. 130 is... 8%. 8%. What did you just do? I just, I put in one bullet, didn't I? I you put, in put a live round in that gun. Oh yeah, there was like an 8% chance, 8%. was it? 8 8 Yeah!
1: Who taught you, you math? Don't
0: know. That's not right. 34%. I don't know what the typo was the first time, but whatever. So a third. So a quarter of them are postmodern, a third of them are romances. The third of them is romance surprised me a little bit, but I told uh, Sarah yesterday that apparently I like... Postmodern dramas that have a bit of melancholy to them. She's like, Yeah, that sounds like, does that sound like me? Someone who would just sit here and do a little soliloquy about a film. Hell, doing a podcast about a film I've seen once 15 years ago. And I just paused this minute that I was supposedly going to talk about the movie because I wanted to tell you this, you know, for the record, 83 were history tagged, 21 musicals. That doesn't mean they're all technically musicals, but music centric. I think I marked, like, High Fidelity as a musical. It's not a musical, but it's very music-heavy. And Almost Famous. Also, same thing. 78 marked as action. 58 marked as horror. 61 marked as sci-fi fantasy. 15 westerns. To be fair, I probably marked a couple things as westerns that you wouldn't think of as westerns. Although I also didn't mark a couple things as westerns that I could have. Whatever. 30 documentaries. I was surprised it was that many. That was just a few and I barely struggled to keep one in my final 36. Final 36. If you've been paying attention to the bracket so far, we did kind of vote at the end of each discussion and pick one. So we'll see. Maybe there'll be an 18. Maybe I'll get it down to nine. How do I break it down to nine? Top three, middle three, bottom three. Cause then I get a top three. But I know what those are going to be. Oh well. It's interesting. Like doing this sort of bracket, figuring out what it is that I like. I know what I like right? But defining it into numbers is interesting, because I'm like, okay, that fits. For the record, by the way, as of, what's the last time I watched a film I hadn't watched before? Um, Just a few days ago, oh, when I watched the remake of Black Christmas, I have watched 6,498 films, according to Letterboxd. There's probably still a few missing on there, definitely a few short films that are missing on there. What I really wanted to do in this episode, though, is neither of these things. I didn't, I wasn't going to turn on the movie, but then I'm like, ooh, that'd be funny if I did. And I only made this Excel sheet yesterday, and I'm like, oh, I should share that. What I really want to do is talk about the six movies that we've already talked about to explain something weird. Bricks be Bear is my favorite film, and I'll tell you why. It's the story of a boy with a troubled childhood. I grew up essentially in a cult, thinking I wasn't going to grow up to be an adult. So I get this. He finds a creative outlet. He watches a TV show to get by. And when he gets out and realizes he's been a prisoner his whole childhood, he wants to make a movie. He makes new friends. He does something interesting with it. And he creates something. Maybe it's the only thing he'll ever make. Who knows? It's therapeutic. It's escapist. It's, it's fun. It's beautiful. It's... I don't know. Brick makes me feel good. Even though there are moments in it that are horribly, horribly sad when his parents try to keep him from making his film because they think he should go to regular therapy instead and not be doing this. But they haven't seen him since he was a little kid. he been missing for, what, 20, 25 years? I forget the number. pretty Bear sure about the creative process, but it's also about where the creative process comes from. Why you make paintings, why you write books, why you write poetry, why you make podcasts. Because there's something... I don't want to say there's something fundamentally wrong with you. There's probably something fundamentally wrong with everybody. But there's a certain something wrong. I used to write fiction. I think I've mentioned this. yeah, we talked about one of my novels with uh, Sean a few weeks ago. Well, not about the content of it, just about the the fact of losing the final chapter after I wrote it and having to rewrite it in that painful night. I forget the exact count. It always surprises me when I count them, because I think it's 15 novels I've written, uh, about six screenplays, two or three dozen short stories, lots of poems. I've drawn many, many pictures painted miniatures. I create more D&D characters than I have time to play, and I watch movies, and I watch TV, and I read books. I don't read as many books as I used to. Until this quarantine time, I didn't watch as many TV shows as I might have used to. I try to watch at least a movie a day, or at least average out to that, and I think like James and Brigsby Bear, it comes down to childhood. A closed, enclosed childhood. That being said, Dave Made a Maze is my favorite film. And I'll tell you why. Dave is a guy who a, struggles to find his creative outlet, to find the thing that's just right for him, the thing that works in a world where so many people are creative, but only so many people can succeed at being creative. You can't all make a living doing the creative thing you want to do. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Like this. No one listens to this podcast. Handful of people. Handful of people I already know. And you could just have a conversation with me probably on a different show. Or That being said, yeah, most of my friends are people I know online. The people I know from podcasting, we guest on each other's shows. I know people I play D and with, which the last couple sessions have been online. So we don't have conversation about life anymore; just play the game. Not that's necessarily bad, though. D is an outlet. Dave made a maze. Dave makes a maze, obviously. Cardboard maze in his living room. It's bigger on the inside, just like his mind, just like mine, just like probably yours. Hello. Echo, 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 pinch hitting for Pedro for Manny Mota Mota, Mota. Mota. I know there's been a big deal made in recent months where people were talking about how some people don't think of sentences in their brain. They think of, like, they don't plan out thoughts. They think differently. I think out whole conversations ahead of time sometimes. I imagine how a conversation's going to go, and then sometimes that means I don't have it because I know it's going to go badly. I don't bother. I avoid it instead. I think Dave's like that. In college he made movies. They weren't very good. Now he's out of college and looking for work. But his girlfriend Annie, she's got a job. She's got a job that sometimes sends her out of town for a weekend. He's left alone with his emptiness. His thoughts. There's a moment in his interview with Harry where he's talking about being broke. Do you know what it means to be broke? It means that you are broken. Broken. That you don't work. And that that works. That works. I've been there. I sort of feel like I am there sometimes now. Sarah makes more money than I do. So I try to do my part around the house or something. In my 20s, though, when I was Dave's age, I think. Maybe he's 30. Who knows? And I can't sit on my couch and watch TV or think that the Internet's going to inspire me because I'm fucking 30 years old. But in my 20s, I had dropped out of college. I worked office jobs occasionally. My life wasn't worth much. So, yeah, you give me a maze to get lost in, I'd get lost in it. And at that time, maybe no one would have come in after me. I don't know. Maybe my sisters. I like a film with Melancholy. No surprise there. Across the Universe is my favorite film, and I'll tell you why. I love a musical. I love a great musical. I love history. Undergrad, when I went back to college, I was a history major. Ostensibly, I was going to try to be a history teacher in high school. Uh, Once I observed high school classes, I wasn't that interested in that anymore. I still was, kind of. But I had to make a choice when it came to grad school. I'd been on the speech team doing debate, doing speech events, and I had to make a choice. I could do the teaching credential program, or I could do grad school in communication studies. Doing both would have taken too much time and would have been weird financially, because you couldn't get grants for the grad school. And if I was in the grad school, I couldn't get grants for the teaching program because it was the same college. So I made a choice. I went into communication studies, and as a graduate student, I could teach sooner because I could teach the freshman 101 class. But before that, history was big, and especially the 60s. Across the universe is right in that uh that central thing. I have re- recently rearranged my bookshelves, and even throwing out a bunch of books, <sighs> painful. And rearranging things, I believe my history section is four shelves. The 60s section is two of those shelves. You could find online two, three papers, I think. Very long papers I wrote in college about Weatherman, the Weather Underground specifically, and 60s radicals. Related to Weatherman, I have a bunch of books by different people who are members, books about people who are members, books about the organization by other people who weren't members. I had this idea, and I'll put it out there. someone else does it, I'd love to watch it. Like a HBO kind of miniseries. Maybe 12 episodes. I thought of structuring it like From the Earth to the Moon, where you got recurring actors as recurring real people, but you kind of rotate each episode like it's its own story. So beginning, a middle, and an end, and they just kind of overlap as they go. But do one about Weatherman, where you deal with different events. Have a whole episode on Smash Monogamy. Have a whole episode on the accidental bombing that killed three members. A whole episode after they went underground and tried to hide. It's part of the reason, or at least an excuse, why I bought a lot of those books. Research. I love an outside source. Listen to any of my other podcasts, and you'll see that's very true. Listen to Annihilation Minute, you'll get that. This show, not so much. I don't often even have notes. I don't have any notes for today, other than opening up the Excel sheet. Across the universe is romance. It's got a melancholy to it, because this is America on a sort of decline. Oh, I forget the author's name offhand. It was Don DeLello in his book Libro but the line about the assassination of President Kennedy was the gunshot that broke the back of 20th century America. The end of the 60s then would be a country in pain. Then you got Jude, who's undocumented. He jumped ship in America to meet his father, and that didn't go anywhere. So he's stuck living in New York with a bunch of artists. He's also an artist, but it's like he can't ever really go anywhere, which is why he's fun as a main character. Things happen around him. And he doesn't like it. But it hits on all these real-world historical events and fictionalizes them and then wraps that up in Beatles lyrics. And I love it. Makes me feel good. Wonderful, marvelous. That makes me so happy. It gives me a warm glow in my lower intestine. Adaptation. It's my favorite film, and I'll tell you why. Creative process. Oh, my God. Look at other movies about writing. Like, uh, one I always go to as an example is Finding Forrester. People love that movie. It's a fine movie. But the actual writing process, it tells you nothing about it. It's like, keep typing this thing. Keep typing this thing till eventually you change the ending. What? That's not how you write. You take all the things you've ever read. You take all the things you've ever thought. All the things you've ever known. All the people you've ever known. All the places you've ever been. And you wrap them in your head. Into that maze. That cardboard maze in your mind. And you see what squeezes out of an open doorway. You type it into a computer or a typewriter. You write it on paper. You draw it. You scream it into a microphone. You sing it, paint it on a wall in a back alley somewhere, wherever your art takes you. But the thing about adaptation is that it explains the process. He's going through the process of trying to adapt a book that's unadaptable, like Tristram Shandy for that matter. And he can't do it until he changes the ending. But we see that process happen. We see this fictional construct for this twin brother he created in order to get a story told he can't tell it through himself because he's too timid he's too unsure of himself this is Charlie Kaufman after though he'd had a career for a decade or two writing on sitcoms and whatnot he'd only had one movie so far at this point I think maybe two but this was after he got famous being John Malkovich made him the name that people knew it's like what are you doing next I'm adapting the Orca Thief which you can't adapt because it doesn't have a plot yay, yay! thing about adaptation is it shows you step by step here's the struggle here's the struggle and here's him creating that thing that comes out of the struggle piece by piece here's the fantasies that wrap around it here's the illusions and illusions and illusions that shove an infinite space inside the mind into a finite tale about time is my favorite film and i'll tell you why it's all about love moulin rouge didn't make it to the final 36 but it's the same idea the greatest This romanticized idea that what matters most in your life is that you find someone to share it with. It shouldn't even be a romantic idea. It's an obvious idea. It's why like quarantine's gonna fuck with so many people over time. I mean better to be alive than not, but what's the usual standard of to be healthy you gotta have a certain amount of hugs in a day? You're lucky someone hugged you today. If you're really lucky a few people did. And about time is science fiction barely. A little bit of time travel. We've been at Time Loops. I got attached to this movie when I was doing the Groundhog Day project, and I loved it. First time in over on Two Minutes About Time, podcast I'm doing with Luke, about, about time. we have learned that a lot of people didn't necessarily remember much from the movie the first time they saw it. They liked it more the second time. I loved it the first time. Which maybe says something about me in terms of the metaphor of the film, too. Go through each day and experience it as if this is the second time. You get to relax. You get to pay attention. You don't have to be so anxious. One benefit for me, being in quarantine, aside from my pastimes involved sitting on the couch and watching TV anyway, TV and movies, great stuff, is normally I have a bit of anxiety and it's almost more comfortable now, because now that's everyone's anxiety. So mine mostly hasn't bothered me. There are moments, moments late at night, where I think about all of everything that's going on, thousands dead and many more thousands grieving, and the anxiety of going to the grocery store can get to me. I think it gets to me more each time I go. <sighs> Be nice. Just go back and warn yourself. Stock up ahead. Don't go outside. But the film itself is, it's great. It's not just the relationship, the romantic thing, but the relationship between Tim and his father, Tim and his sister. It's a movie about seeing the importance of the people around you. The importance of beauty around you. Beautiful places, beautiful thoughts, beautiful ideas, beautiful people. The beautiful people. The beautiful people. a big part of Groundhog Day Project, and Groundhog Day is a film. Be the best you can be by taking in the best around you and appreciating it, enjoying it, loving it. And The Fisher King is my favorite film, and I'll tell you why. It's all of that. It's medieval romance in style, outlandish fantasy insanity, the idea that the only way to survive a world is far too big and complex and insane and crazy and all it does is want to crush the individual. The only way to survive it is to be insane yourself, to embrace madness, to embrace love and love is madness, to embrace your friends, literally, figuratively, embrace life, find the joy around you and you know, who cares for the babies as black as her shoes, it's a baby, it's a life. Wake up from your nap. See what's in front of you. Choose the stuff you like. Enjoy the stuff you like. And be a better you. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bowl Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bowl Minute. Or find us in the Facebook listeners group, Cock and Bowl Pub. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com.